to Women's Health Weekly from Maiden Lane Medical. We bring you experts from all around the country to help you with your health, life, and happiness. Now for your host, Dr. Kenneth Levy. Hey, for those of us who are joining us on YouTube, thank you very much and welcome. We're so excited to be here. So welcome to our third edition of Women's Health Weekly. We're absolutely fully excited to be here. I'd like to welcome uh, my co-host again this week, Dr. Jeanette Davison, uh, who, who many of you see um, as a patient who is fantastic and uh, really uh, enhances uh, what we do here, um, both at Maiden Lane Medical and on the show. And I'd also like to welcome longtime friend respected professor, colleague, expert in sexual health, expert in vulval vaginal disorders, uh, world-renowned guy, Dr. Andrew Goldstein. Say hello to everybody. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Goldstein. We really, we really appreciate it. We look forward to an exciting, uh, we look forward to an exciting talk. Um, Dr. Davison and I have been working with Dr. Goldstein for a number of years as we uh, work very hard to take care of women with a number of uh, sexual health issues and vulvovaginal disorders. Um, and Dr. Goldstein has been um, a constant presence in our ability to do that, um, to offer consultation and to offer advice and sometimes see patients uh, that we were having a difficult time managing and uh, always manages to make things move forward in the right direction for us. So. Um, so let's get going. Let's get started. Let's talk about. So I, I told everyone, say, hey, come join us. We're going to talk about your vulva. Uh, and what's a cooler topic than that? Um, I don't know. Can anyone think of a cooler topic? Maybe. All right. Let's see. So here's my first. Um, here's my first sort of piece on this is that we know there's a lot of information out there. We know that you have a lot of potential resources to get that information. But what we want to deliver to you here is information from the experts. And that's why we asked Dr. Goldstein to join us. Um, so let me go right to Dr. Goldstein and um, ask him the big question on my mind. Um, what's so important, or actually, no, let me take a step back. What is a vulva? It's pretty simple, um, Ken. It's basically the external genitalia. When people say they look down there and they see their vagina, well, they really don't. They're actually seeing their vulva. So we, um, what um, people call the lips or the labia, um, the clitoris, um, all that is the vulva. Um, and so what you can see, unless you have, unless you're a gynecologist and look inside, which is really when you're looking, when people talk about the vagina, they're really talking about the vulva. So you've got the vulva on the outside and the vagina on the inside. Is that sort of that's, is that sort of the right way to think about it? That's the right way to think about it. And if you is there a better way to describe it for women who aren't quite, who, you know, listen, we're gynecologists, so we look at vulvas and vaginas all the time. It's what we do. We very clearly understand the anatomy. Is there a different way to describe it for for women who maybe not aren't quite getting it? Or should I put a picture up? Picture be great, but also women should really get to know their their own anatomy and their own vulvas. So the best way they can learn is actually take a mirror down there and um, uh, or even even use their uh, their cell phone and take a photo. Um, but uh, we would encourage women to do vulvar self exams. They should just like do they would do breast exams. They should look at their vulva, know what what what's normal for them. Um, and um, and uh, see the see the texture, see the color, um, and uh, explore their own anatomy. So that's perfect. That's great. And that seems like a really easy thing to do. 
Um, Dr. Davison, is that what you're telling your patients to do on a regular basis? Um, I can't say that I would say that on a regular basis for every routine patient. Um, you know, my practice is a bit of routine um, as well as chronic pain, vulvar disease, certainly, especially the patients who come with a complaint, a lesion, um, known vulvar disease, pelvic pain, um, then yes, I encourage them. I actually show them with a mirror in the office, and I know Dr. Goldstein does that as well, um, so that they know exactly what I'm talking about, including um, if it's applying medication or monitoring a lesion. Um, so certainly in that subset of patients, um, maybe I should be, uh, but not always routinely in, in um, Routine patients, that's a good uh, PSA, Dr. Goldstein. So, well, the reason I just say, the reason I ask do people, you know, when people, if they start having problems, they got to know what it looked like beforehand. You know, right. um, people say, well, I never noticed this, or I did. And so this way they'll know. Um, and it, I'm not saying that this has to be done on a daily basis, but once a month, once every six months, just look, know your, know your body. Um, and uh, and in case there's a problem, then you have a baseline. So if you're a, a female patient and you are familiar with your normal anatomy, um, that's great. But what am I looking for if I'm a woman who's doing regular vulvar exams? What am I looking for to give me an early warning or an early sign on my vulva that maybe something's not quite there, quite right, or something's just that plainly abnormal? So um, usually what we're having people look for are um, air texture changes or color changes. Um, so um, if there, or even change in the anatomy. Um, so sometimes you'll, the, the skin will look thicker um, or it will look whiter or there'll be um, changes in pigment and that can be either um, increase in pigment or loss of pigment. Uh, also, maybe part of the of the labia or the lips are are sticking together when they shouldn't, or maybe there are small little tears or little fissures that you can see, um, and you can feel those things. So uh, you're looking for texture changes, color changes, uh, anatomy changes, tears, fissures, and those may, are mainly the things you're looking for. Great. Anything to add to that, Dr. Davison? Um, no, I would agree with that. And, um, you know, I think a lot of patients will come with a complaint about what's this, I noticed this. And I do say to them, well, have you looked before? And so that's true. Like someone might, it might um, come up that they have a complaint or a symptom and then that prompts them to look, but then they never had the baseline. So that is a, um, sort of going back to the point of having a baseline. It's helpful to see if there, if there is one of these changes that we're talking about. One of the things I do want to point out is that, you know, one thing that people do focus on a lot of times is how red something is or how red their vulva is. And that changes dramatically um, depending on how much blood flow goes to the area. So um, uh, if a woman looks when she's aroused, it's going to look redder, fuller um, than if she's not aroused. Um, it also changes with horm hormones as well. So that's a good way to get a baseline. And again, don't focus so much on red, um, but you're focusing on more of um, texture changes and erosions or tears or fissures or, or, or anatomy changes. One of the things I wanted to address today was symptoms. Um, and I'm gonna venture a guess that you're gonna tell me and probably agree with me that there's no one symptom that defines any particular vulvar or vulvovaginal um, disorder. 
um, or particular problem, but there may be some particular symptoms which patients have on a particular basis um, from a time standpoint, you know, from a longevity standpoint, or some particular symptoms that are not going away um, after X treatment that we really want them to come in to address. So I'm gonna, I came up with a, a bunch of them. I, maybe you could come up with some more. Um, so itching, odor, discharge, ulcerations, pain and burning, painful intercourse. Uh, that seems like a, a list of like 90 plus percent of the most common complaints that we are going to see as people who take care of vulval vaginal disorders. So you don't have to take them one by one, but maybe just um, as sort of a, uh, if you have kind of these things, you should go see your doctor type of conversation. And I think that would be valuable for people to understand what if, what if, then what do I do? So I guess first about in that list, I mean, I think the first thing is that if a woman is experiencing pain with intercourse, I think it's, there's, there's just no question that she um, uh, should go to uh, her physician and try to figure out what the cause is painful. Um, and um, uh, intercourse should not be painful and their causes, uh, but a trained physician should be able to um, figure out those causes. Now, um, you may be surprised, but uh, uh, certainly not Dr. Levy or, or Dr. Davison, but our viewers out there may be surprised that the average gynecologist is really not um, trained in the evaluation of, of sexual pain disorders. Um, that's unfortunate. So if the gynecologist you go to um, doesn't seem to know exactly how to evaluate that, or they just keep treating you for infection after infection after infection, and your pain doesn't go away, it's time to, to look for a specialist in this area. Uh, the other thing that's really important is there should uh, there shouldn't be bleeding with intercourse. Um, that's a real that's a, a, a definitely a red flag, um, and um, and it should be evaluated because um, bleeding with intercourse um, could either mean that there's uh, a vulvar problem such as tearing or a skin disease, or there's a problems with the cervix. And so um, bleeding with sex is again a very important thing that should never be ignored. Um, Additionally, um, uh, symptoms of burning um, and itching that last for more than um, certainly a week, but um, uh, should also be evaluated and should not, in, in, and we really discourage the self-diagnosis of both yeast infections and bacterial infections because really good studies have shown that women are not great at self-diagnosing yeast infection. Um, in fact, if a woman is 100% sure she has the yeast infection, um, it has been shown that she's only correct 51% of the time. Um, and that's even if she's had prior yeast infections. And even more disturbing that about a third of the time, even if she does have the yeast infection, um, she has a concurrent bacterial infection at the same time. So a woman who self-treats for a yeast infection is either incorrectly or insufficiently treating themselves about 66% of the times or two thirds of the time. So it's really important um, if, if symptoms persist, such as itching and burning for more than a week, that you really should see a physician um, for an evaluation. So that's amazing. So a lot of women are out there diagnosing themselves with yeast infections and almost half of them are getting it wrong. Uh, yeah, the uh, most uh, more than yeah half are getting it wrong, and again, even a third of the people who got the the original diagnosis correct are missing in another infection, which is a bacterial infection. I'm getting some awesome questions from our YouTube audience, and I'd like to have Dr. Goldstein and Dr. Davison address some of them. 
Uh, it's really exciting. Um, so, and, and, and this is one of my near and dear uh, favorite topics that you talk about because you because you know the subject so well. Um, so I'll just read the question verbatim. One um, uh, YouTube audience member is asking, um, I know, saying, I know there's a link between the pill and the development of vulvodynia, etc. Can this lead to anterior vaginal wall pain? Could this be an extension of the vulvodynia and link to the bladder somehow? And, the, and I think the, the question is, is all really all about can birth control pills lead to vulvar pain or painful intercourse? So the answer is absolutely, and this is one of the areas of, of, of research that I've done. Now, I want to preface this by saying the majority of women who take birth control pills do not develop pain. Um, and in fact, uh, birth control pills can help um, vulvar pain for other reasons. I'm not vulvar pain, but pelvic pain, such as endometriosis or painful periods. So I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and say that all birth control pills are bad. But um, if you um, had pain-free sex, and started taking oral contraceptive pills, and at some point in time later develop um, pain with intercourse, very commonly that is a cause of the pain with sex. Now, the other part of that question was, can that cause other pain? Well, the answer is yes, because when you start having pain with sex, one of the most common things that happen is the pelvic floor muscles tighten up. And um, once they tighten up, then you can have additional complaints, bladder complaints, um, uh, pain with bowel movements, bleeding with bowel movements. So one thing can lead to another. Um, the analogy I always give is if you're driving down the road and you hit a patch of ice and your car goes off into a ditch and it's all smashed up. So um, birth control pills can be that patch of ice. They can lead you into a ditch and they can get your car smashed up. And often just stopping the birth control pill does not resolve the problem. Dr. Davison, has that been what you've seen as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, when I talk to patients about um, treating some of these symptoms, just as you're describing, we talk about stopping the estrogen containing birth control and they sort of say, okay, well, that's all I'll do. And they, or, or they say, can I just do the physical therapy, but I want to continue the estrogen containing birth control. And I, and I say the same thing, you know, usually it's, treating both problems. You can't just do one. The other thing is not going to necessarily follow suit. So I've had the same experience. Yeah. So some folks are asking some really great questions in this regard. Um, and I'd like to have Dr. Goldstein address um, some of them. Um, the, at sort of its basic level, um, someone really asked a question about um, if I don't have, um, and I know there's a lot of information out there on the internet about surgery in association with vulvodynia. And someone asked the question, um, if I don't have access to surgery, uh, what are my other treatment options? Uh, what are the other things I can do to heal or ameliorate symptoms associated with that? And the, the person who asked the question said it very well, that neuroproliferative subtype, which we often see where there's a lot of that higher nerve density in the tissue specimens. What can I do from a medical standpoint, it sounds like, to be able to help me with some of it? It's a great question. So the first thing I think everyone has on the audience has to know is um, that vulvodynia is really uh, a symptom. It's just sort of saying, again, as, as you said, Dr. Levy, um, vulvar pain. But there are many different causes. That's sort of just like saying you have chest pain. If you have chest pain, you want to know if you have a heart attack or if, you're having, if you have broke a rib or you're having a panic attack. The same thing with vulvodynia or vulvar pain. You want to know the causes. Now, one of the most, uh, one of the best ways to figure out the causes um, is a diagnostic algorithm that I've, that I've published, but that many, many people use and have, um, and have, have changed.
and the way you can get to that diagnostic algorithm is you can go to my website, which is called vulvodynia.com, um, vulvodynia.com. And if you go under publications and under vulvodynia, um, that first publication under vulvodynia is um, the diagnostic algorithm. So that you and your physician can use this diagnostic algorithm to figure out exactly the cause of your vulvodynia. So um, that's also, uh, that diagnostic algorithm is also in a book called uh, When Sex Hurts that I, that I published. But, but, but uh, forget the self-promotion. Um, what I want to tell you well, about we love it, it about- we love it. I promise you, about, we love it. <laughs> uh, uh, but but uh, about the um, about a treatment for neuroproliferative vestibulodynia, if you can't um, uh, get surgery, and we don't ne necessarily recommend surgery for um, uh, neuroproliferative vestibulodynia unless we call it congenital, meaning you've always had that. Um, we found that if you have congenital neuroproliferative vestibulodynia, that surgery is by far the best option. However, if you have acquired neuroproliferative vestibulodynia, meaning you've had pain-free intercourse, and then you develop too many nerve endings, um, then we have found a medication called capsaicin to be incredibly effective. Capsaicin is the purified extract from chili peppers. Now, what happens is you put this medicine on the, on the, the vestibule, which is the entrance of the, of the, of the vagina. Um, it's an incredibly, incredibly painful experience. But what happens is it causes all the nerve endings to get depleted of the chemical that causes pain. It's sort of like wearing out the battery of the nerve endings. So if you can do this every single day for um, approximately three months, 71% reduction in pain, um, which means that on average, you know, on average, it's 71% reduction, which means that a lot of women are getting 100% relief of pain. Um, and even a lot of people are getting 50% of relief of pain. So uh, it's an incredibly uh, effective and inexpensive treatment um, again, it's it's not a very pleasant treatment, but an incredibly effective um, and inexpensive treatment. And I will tell you, uh, Dr. Levy, that I've uh, I used to do about 60 to 70 of these surgeries a year, and um, I'm now doing only about 20 to 25 a year. One of the main reasons is treating the hormonal aspect that the last viewer talked about, and the second reason is using capsaicin. That's great. So there are medical therapies. We have um, used capsaicin uh, as well. Dr. Davison and I use another medical therapy quite frequently. Uh, Dr. Davison, do you want to talk about that briefly? Um, in terms of other topicals, I think you're thinking of. Yeah, correct? exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, I would say various specialists probably have their topicals of choice, but um, there's a variety of um, topicals that you can compound. A compound of medications is a medication that made up specially for our sort of instruction. And one that we have used with success is um, a combination of estrogen, so giving the tissue, especially in patients who are maybe deficient from using a birth control pill, um, ketoprofen, uh, lidocaine, gabapentin, so a couple of different agents mixed together, some that work on nerve modulation, estrogen that can improve tissue quality that uh, also can be deficient after using birth control pills, so a topical like that. Also in patients who specifically um, have discomfort due to birth control pills, they're also deficient in testosterone, which I know Dr. Boltzmann can chime in more, but super important to give testosterone and estrogen back to those patients via topical. So that's another, specifically for patients who had a history of birth control pill use, that's a, definitely something that we see helps a lot. Another question from a uh, viewer that just came in. 
Um, do we recommend oral amitriptyline or gabapentin for unprovoked vulvodynia? Um, I don't know if um, Dr. Goldstein is shaking his head, is nodding his head because he likes it or he's nodding his head because he's heard the question a thousand times, but now he's shaking his head and I'm going to totally agree with him. I was actually <laughs> going to take that question um, and I'll just answer it by saying, yeah, there's no good evidence in the literature that treating systemically or centrally um, with these oral medications offers any long-term benefit to managing um, vulvar or introidal type pain. Um, that's um, those medications work great for other types of chronic neuropathic type pain, but for um, the vulvar type pain, not they don't really seem to do much of anything um, by themselves. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do you have something to add to that, Dr. Goldstein? So first of all, not you, you mentioned there's no good evidence. In fact, there's um, very good evidence to the contrary, which is that they don't help. So that's number one. So and these are very large multi-million dollar NIH funded studies, you know, the, the gold standard double blind placebo controlled trials by, by experts have shown that both um, the tricyclic antidepressants, which um, amitriptyline, nortriptyline, disipramine are in that category, as well as the um, gabapentin do not help vulvar pain. Even more um, uh, scary, if I the better word is that um, many of these medications include the tricyclic antidepressants, increase the risk of coronary artery disease as well, or uh, uh, heart, uh, heart attack, as well as Alzheimer's disease. So uh, this is sort of very commonly prescribed by people who are not knowledgeable or not up to date about medicine. And they'll prescribe um, the tricyclics or, uh, or gabapentin. And in fact, um, there is long-term um, health repercussions to these medications and they have not been shown in very good studies to be useful. So in fact, um, I'm an author of, of Vulvodynia Guidelines and one of the, the strongest recommendations is not to use these medications. I'd like to get back to um, two questions that I think we could answer in brief that came from our YouTube audience about vestibulectomy. Um, the first question is, um, is natural birth still possible after a vestibulectomy? Are there any long-term risks? Great question. In my patient population, women after surgery, 58% um, uh, of the women have, have completely no pain after vestibulectomy, but after vaginal delivery, that number goes up to 93%. So actually vaginal delivery can get rid of any residual pain after vestibulectomy. In addition, women actually tend to tear less um, if they've had a vestibulectomy, then the average woman who's having, having a vaginal delivery. And the reason is what tends to tear um, during a vaginal delivery is the vestibule. And so women who no longer have a vestibule tend to not tear at all. So um, uh, we, we strongly encourage women who've had a vestibulectomy to have a vaginal delivery. Uh, another um, YouTube viewer asks, um, I had a successful vestibulectomy, but some pain remains on the urinary meatus. I guess, I think it's urethral meatus she's referring to. Um, which can't be removed, of course. We're, we're doing research. Um, we are doing a study out of, in Washington, D.C., where we're taking out the last um, half an inch of the, of the opening of the urethra. Um, uh, we're working with the urologist. Um, the urologist is Dr. Rachel Rubin, um, and she was actually trained by another famous vulvar specialist by the name of Dr. Erwin Goldstein, who was no relation but a good friend of mine. And also <laughs> sure, we know Erwin. 
Um, and so um, we are, so this is a, this is a vexing problem, but it's the same tissue um, of the opening of the, of the urethra as the vestibule. So we are actually now um, doing a study to remove this tissue um, uh, uh, safely, and we believe it's going to be uh, successful. That's great. Dr. Davidson, you could speak to this. Um, seem to have had that uh, experience where we've done our best vestibulectomy uh, for patients with refract medically refractive uh, refractory vulvodynia and wound up with just what you're describing, which is, or just what this YouTube viewer is describing, is some uh, residual pain at the uh, entrance to or the exit of the urethra. Um, we're not sure. We're not sure other than medically how to how to manage that. Dr. Davidson, have you run into this issue, and what do you typically do? Um, I have, and I will say that one thing to distinguish, which I've been trained by the best because I'm on with the two people who train me, but um, that we, I think, we, and we've shared a few patients, um, Dr. Goldstein uh, taught, has trained me to do a vestibulectomy. Um, I'm so privileged. And it's very important to remove the, the skin gland osteo, which is super close to the urethra. And so I think it's an important point, you know, not many of us, uh, not many other uh, physicians do vestibulectomies and so to make sure that whoever did it is there any or even to check our own work is there any um, residual tissue where you really medial to the skin gland osseous is there any role of resecting that little bit of tissue that might be actually the source of the pain which is probably worthwhile investigating even before the urethral resection perhaps um, if that's the case no just basically you know we're, we're just uh, it, it is important, um, and occasionally the skin's glands uh, openings can um, regrow a little bit. So again, before um, contemplating um, letting anyone else do ad additional surgery, you know, I definitely go to an expert in this situation who uh, who really knows how to evaluate the, these small um, uh, differences, subtleties um, in the residual pain. Um, I want to spend one more or two more minutes on vulvodynia because there were a couple of other um, issues we want to talk about. And I, uh, one of the YouTube viewers asked a great question, which is absolutely something to um, consider uh, whenever someone's presenting with um, certainly vulvar pain and troidal pain, pain with intercourse. Um, the question is, how much do you think anxiety and stress contributes to vulvodynia symptoms for a woman who already has vulvodynia? It's an incredibly important question um, uh, and something that I've actually researched as well. Um, uh, we actually found we that about 40 percent of uh, about 40 percent of women who have um, who are, uh, diagnosed with vulvodynia um, have a, meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder. Now, that is important to realize that that doesn't mean that their pain is because they are anxious. Um, the thing about uh, anxiety is it does two things to increase the pain. First of all, the chemicals, the neurochemicals in the brain that are responsible for anxiety are the exact same neurochemicals in the brain that are responsible for pain. Right. So to say that someone is uh, more anxious um, and therefore they're in more pain, that is by definition true. Um, because they have the exact same chemicals in the brain that are increased for both pain and anxiety. The second thing that increases pain related to anxiety is that women tend to, who are anxious, tend to tighten up their muscles. They tend to hold in their stress or their anxiety in their muscles. 
And what that happens is when the muscles get tight, that causes decrease in blood flow to the area, including the pelvic floor, which causes a buildup of lactic acid in the muscles, as well as causes increase in inflammation and therefore will cause an increase in pain. So to say that a woman who is, is anxious has more pain, that is absolutely true. And it is very important to address the anxiety. But I also want to emphasize, and I really want to emphasize that that doesn't mean that your pain is in, the, your, in your head and that you're crazy and that the only reason you have pain is because you're anxious. That, that's, a, that's a perfect exclamation point on, on the issue about anxiety and, and really any pain, but in our case, the anxiety um, and vulvar pain, um, because they're, they occur so frequently together, um, one makes the other worse. Um, but it doesn't mean at all that it's that it exists in your head. And any doctor who tells you that should, um, well, you should just potentially consider going to find a new doctor. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Davidson and I see this quite frequently and have these conversations on a fairly regular basis about um, how to properly manage. Um, another um, interesting um, question is, um, can tight pelvic floor can this is the i'll sort of like paraphrase this question can tight pelvic floor muscles cause delayed pain after sex and such as 24 hours later which is a, a sort of a, off the topic of straightforward vulvodynia moving into some pelvic floor muscle spasm conversations and issues around that but this will be the last one of those we we hit and then we'll go on to some other stuff um, so, so I can answer that just basically yes. And what happens is tight pelvic floor muscles, when a muscle is tight, um, there's decrease in oxygen going, uh, there's, well, there's decrease in blood flow going to the muscle. In fact, if a muscle has about a 10% increase in muscle tone, then there's a decrease in blood flow of over 50%. And so what happens is if there's decrease in blood flow going to those muscles, then there's decrease in oxygen going to those muscles. That does two things. Um, that causes the muscles to live what we call anaerobically without oxygen. And the byproduct of anaerobic respiration is lactic acid. So lactic acid builds up in the muscle. And you've all probably heard the expression, feel the burn. And so exactly that's what's going on. It's like your muscles are running a marathon. In addition, lack of oxygen causes a buildup of inflammation. There is what we call hypoxic inflammatory response that means just lack of oxygen causes inflammation just like an infection can cause inflammation and so in that situation um uh, tight pelvic floor muscles can cause burning um all the time or if those muscles get pressed on like during intercourse or during orgasm the muscles contract so that can release the lactic acid and therefore cause a, um, a delayed um, pain response, but there is pain. Now there's also increased blood flow during intercourse. And so the area sweat, you know, so the, the area can swell and the muscles, if they're tight, what will happen is it actually prevents the blood flow from the blood from um, come going out of the vulva and you're, you're no longer aroused. So that causes delayed um, swelling after intercourse as well, which can cause discomfort. Uh, a YouTube viewer asked the question, could we offer um, digital consultations and appointments? And I want it to be clear that uh, we do these Women's Health Weekly telecasts because we really enjoy doing them. And we really enjoy talking to people um, virtually about um, all of the things that are, that are important to women's health and getting the right expert medical care uh, when it's needed. Um, but 
if you're asking the question, I'll tell you, yes, Dr. Davison and I believe Dr. Goldstein are both available for uh, digital appointments. Dr. Goldstein on aforementioned vulvodynia.com and um, Dr. Davison through maidenlanemedical.com. Um, and uh, you can certainly make appointments with both of them. And as we kind of come towards what's close to the end of our time, um, I want to just hit on some of the other areas of vulvar health um, that, uh, that are pretty important, or rather let's do like two final topics. One is just other vulvar problems. Um, you're an expert in, in the lichens, uh, lichen sclerosis, lichen planus, um, other types of also, you know, potentially ulcerative disease, um, of the vulva. And then just a brief, kind of a brief conversation from Dr. Davison about just general vulvar health and maintaining vulvar health. So we got, I think if we hit those two topics, we'll have, we'll have got, come a long way in really offering some, a nice level of education out there to, uh, to women. So I'll give, so I'll give Dr. Goldstein just a couple minutes to talk about, <laughs> I'm sorry, I left you confused. Uh, so my point is let's have Dr. Goldstein talk now about some other vulvar, uh, disorders. One of the things that um, uh, it's not incredibly common, but it affects about 1.5% of women. So about one in 60 to one in 70 women is a, um, are skin diseases of the vulva. The vulva is skin, um, but there are specific um, skin diseases that can affect the vulva that typically just go there because of the unique environment of the vulva. Um, the most common of those diseases is something called lichen sclerosis. Lichen means thick and scaly in Greek, and the word sclerosis means scarring in Greek. And this is a, this is a skin disorder um, that can affect uh, females of all age, from kids um, to 2 to 99. Um, and there's, a, there's some misinformation out there that this is the disease of menopausal women, but it is not. Um, and what lichen sclerosis can do is it can cause itching, it can cause scarring of the vulva, it can cause pain with intercourse, um, it can cause the entire distortion of the anatomy and scarring of the anatomy of the vulva. And uh, unfortunately, in about 5% of women who get lichen sclerosis, they can develop cancer if not appropriately treated. So this is one of the reasons that I think women should do vulvar exams just to know what their normal anatomy is. Because if they notice changes in their anatomy, um, such as scarring or texture or color changes, that they go to um, uh, a physician and, and because this can be a possibility. I think that's great. I think that's um, one of the a really key thing. And I think, right, lichen sclerosis of those is probably the most common um, of the more rare things we usually actually usually wind up sending to see Dr. Goldstein anyway. Um, but uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, again, lichen sclerosis would be the thing to look out for. Um, so Dr. Davison, um, in sort of moving to provided we don't have any um, other uh, questions associated with these topics, just kind of moving towards wrapping up and talking to uh, our viewers out there about general vulvar health um, and uh, and just taking care of yourself on a daily basis. Um, sure. So uh, to summarize from, from, I guess, this session and our prior session, I think one of the take home from, from this session just simply is to be familiar with your anatomy and not be afraid to check with the mirror just to know your baselines that you know, if you have a symptom or you, if you notice something different, you're, you'll be able to um, realize and and bring it to the attention of your physician. And going back to last week's session, um, you know, we talked about how the vulva and the vagina are different, but um, obviously in close proximity. 
Uh, and a lot of the same precautions that we talked about in our last uh, session in terms of vaginal health apply here. So um, some of the things, and feel free for both of you to add, but avoiding scented products, detergents, soaps. I know Dr. Goldstein tells his patients um, to wash their underwear separately just with water, with warm water without detergents. I think that's correct. Um, and, you know, avoiding sort of irritating products, some things that are even marketed towards women that can be deceptive, such as pH balance and wipes and feminine health, which actually really can throw off things and throw off pH. Um, wearing cotton underwear or no underwear. So a lot of the things that we talked about last week are, are applicable because even though these might be different conditions, such as lichen sclerosis or vestibular vulvodynia, um, they can be irritated by the same um, the same contacts, the same irritants. I want to ask, that's a great, that's a great answer because I think you know one of the most common things of, that causes this, these itching and burning symptoms are both irritant and allergic reactions. Women put hundreds of chemicals on their on their vulvas on a, you know almost like in a weekly basis. Um, most soaps have uh, even Dove, has, uh, which is supposed to be 99.44 percent pure, has uh, 18 different things in it. Um, uh, and uh, every toilet paper, every uh, menstrual pad, all of these things all have chemicals, and any one of these chemicals can be an irritant or allergic reaction, cause an irritant or allergic reaction. So, um, you know, uh, the last thing I always say to people is, you know, tr uh, trees where they make toilet paper, uh, trees are not white, soft, and fluffy, and smell and smell good uh, the, all the, the reason they're they're white soft and fluffy and smell good is because there are chemicals in that and that can cause uh, and any one of those chemicals can cause an irritant or allergic reaction that's awesome guys we've had some amazingly uh insightful questions from our youtube audience we really appreciate you guys participating absolutely fantastic um thank you dr goldstein very much for your time thank you dr davison very much for your time and joining us today uh once again vulvodynia.com um for dr goldstein maidenlanemedical.com for dr davison um thanks for joining us on our youtube channel please 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 subscribe to our youtube channel we're going to keep these presentations going every week until the cows come home and uh even well past covid uh, 19 crisis and pandemic. We really love doing it. We've discovered a new wheelhouse for ourselves and we're uh, fantastically excited to continue to talk about it. Have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. Keep your families safe and uh, be well.